Last week, uh, being the first Sunday of the new year, we talked at length about Israel and the terrorist organization Hamas and, and the war that was being waged in Israel. And I made it very clear to you that this war and every other attempt to bring Israel down is a direct result of the covenant that God made with Abraham way back in the book of Genesis. Well, last fall, as I was planning out the beginning of the new year, I had decided to begin 2024 with a series on Abraham. So I realized that last week's unscheduled message turned out to be a, a perfect one because it helps us to lead into what we are gonna cover over the next six weeks. I'm excited to begin a, a new series with you today that I'm titling The Blessing of Obedience, where, as I said, we are going to look at the life of Abraham. Abraham is considered the father of the faith, and he was called out by God to, to boldly move into an entirely different direction, and his story is an amazing example of God's blessing in someone's life because it was through Abraham's obedience to God's call where God not only promised blessings, but he made good on his promises. My purpose for doing this series is very simple because as we enter into this new year, I know that God is leading every one of you to something greater. He wants you to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus. And my friends, that is just the way it is when you're on this journey called Christianity. He wants you to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus. He wants you to, he continually wants to challenge you. He wants you to learn more. He wants you to exercise your spiritual gifts, to take spiritual risks, to step out in faith. And most importantly, he wants you to be obedient to the things that he is calling you to do. Because through your obedience comes blessing, all kinds of blessings. And you may be wondering exactly what I mean when, when I speak of God's blessing or what I would refer to as living a blessed life. Well, blessing is defined as, as divine protection or aid. So understand, blessings are gifts from God. Now, many people in our day always translate God's blessings only to be financial ones. And God certainly does bless us financially. But the Bible tells us every good and perfect gift comes from above. So when you talk about blessings, it is so much broader than just finances. You see, God wants to prosper you in every area of your life. And so he blesses you with peace of mind and, and health and, and happiness and, and, and security and a good reputation in favor in the workplace, a, a peaceful home. He'll give you confidence, discernment. He'll give you a wonderful relationship with your, your spouse and your family. He will give you wisdom and contentment, a faith that is unshakable, and the list goes on and on and on. The point is, God has a, a storehouse of blessings that is so vast and it is so wide that we can't even comprehend the many ways in which he is capable of blessing us. And so today I wanna to talk about the blessing that comes from surrender. Because I wanna look 
as we look at this, this topic of a blessed life, it is essential to understand one very crucial element. In order to have the kind of blessed life that God wants to give you, like Abraham, it will always require obedience on your part. It will require surrender, submitting yourself to the power and the authority of Almighty God. Now I realize that surrender is not a word that we like to use too much in our culture. I mean, we're Americans, right? We surrender to no one. We are taught to be winners. We are taught to win at all costs. Our culture is obsessed with obtaining and achieving and conquering and reaching the pinnacle of success and following our dreams, which might include pursuing wealth or pursuing stature or, or building relationships or, or gaining knowledge. And there's nothing wrong with pursuing those kinds of things that is unless they receive your greatest devotion and your greatest levels of loyalty and your greatest levels of love. But what few understand is to fully secure the blessings of God, you must surrender to his plan and his purposes for your life. You gotta move his agenda ahead of your own. And you've gotta begin to, to look at life from a different perspective with God's purposes prevailing in all the things that you do. You must ask yourself, am what I am, is what I am doing and how I am living bringing any glory to God? And if not, then you need to recalculate your direction. You need to recalculate your purpose because glorifying God in our lives is what we were created to do, church. It's what we were created to do. Now, to an unsurrendered heart, this doesn't always settle well because it might go against your own vision. It might go against your, your own goal. So let me ask you a question this morning. How sure are you that your life plan, the one that you have subscribed to and put a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into is the right plan? And an even better question I think to ask is, how has your plan been working for you up until this point? Just because you read it in a book or you watched someone else use this plan or popular culture tells you that it's the right way to go about doing something, well, folks, it doesn't make it right. And especially might not make it right for you. Might the God of the universe the creator of all things, the creator of you, I might add, have a greater understanding of who you are, what your abilities are, and what your purpose was meant to be. Might God have another path, another journey that he wants you to take other than the one that you are currently on? Well, he certainly did with Abraham. So through this series, we're gonna look at how God called him to a new place with a new plan and a new purpose. And furthermore, 
how God's blessings followed him through his obedience. Because through Abraham's surrendering his will to God's will and God's plan and God's purposes, he truly experienced the blessed life that God had promised him. And as we discussed last week, those, those, the promises of both protection and blessing go on through Abraham's lineage, even down to today in Israel. So let me begin by asking you a question. Have you ever had moments when you wished you were someone else? Let me, let me, let me elaborate on that. I know that's kind of a big question. Do you ever look at someone and long for what they have or what they do or what they know or desire to experience the kind of life that you perceive they experience? Well, as we look at Abraham, he is no doubt one of those people who others might look up to and desire his kind of life for themselves. Because when we are introduced to Abraham, he's in a really great place. First of all, Abraham is in his prime. In those Old Testament days, people lived to be a lot older than we do today. It appears that Abraham lived to the ripe old age of about 175 years. So at the time of this life-changing event, Abraham was in his prime. Abraham is also wealthy. In Genesis 11:31, it tells us that he lived in the Ur of the Chaldeans. Now translated from the original Greek, the Ur of the Chaldeans means Beverly Hills. Just... <laughs> Not really, not really. My point is that the Ur of the Chaldeans was a high rent district. It would be like today living in a gated community with a custom made home of thousands and thousands and thousands of square feet. If you lived in the Ur, you were living the high life. It was a nice place as ever you would want to live. Abraham is also respected. Not only does he have wealth, but he is respected. And the scriptures tell us that he has a wife named Sarai and she's a beautiful woman. Woman, She is so beautiful, in fact, that later on in this story, Pharaoh wants to include her into his harem. So let's face it. If a guy marries up in this world, his stock rises greatly. And when you marry a beautiful woman, you just get respect. That's the way it is. I know I get it all the time because of my beautiful wife who's homesick today. I love you, baby. But most importantly... Abraham is in a relationship with God. You see, in the era of the Chaldeans, they, they worshiped and celebrated many gods. You had the, the sun god, the moon god, the god of the harvest. But Abraham had an encounter with the one true God. And I have to believe that when people saw his relationship being developed, his relationship with God and his trust in God, that, that it was attractive to other people. And they desired to have that kind of a life for themselves. So Abraham's got his life together. He, he's in his prime. He is respected. He's got money in the bank. He has a beautiful wife and he knows God. To sum it all up, you'd have to say, Abraham's got it going on. And the reason I share this with you is simple. At some point in every human heart, we come to a place where we finally start to ask tough questions about who we are what we've accomplished, where we are heading, and we reflect on where we are going to spend eternity. And I believe that these crucial elements of, of Abraham's life played an essential role in getting him to the point of hearing God's voice. They brought him to a place 
of self-reflection, whereby he could look at all that he had and realize that, that perhaps there was something greater out there for him. It opened him up to that something greater uh, that, that God had in store for him and his family to fully trust in God for that something greater. So let's look at the call of Abraham. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Genesis chapter 12. If you don't have a Bible, all the scriptures will be up on the screen behind me. And we're gonna read a scripture that I read actually in last week's message as well. And I want you to understand this particular verse and many of them refer to him as Abram. But you have to remember later on as we discussed last week, God changes his name from Abram to Abraham. So I'll be reading today from Genesis chapter 12, verses one through three, and this morning I'll be reading from the New King James translation. The word says, now the Lord said to Abram, get out of your country, from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great, and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse him who curses you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now there's three specific things you can't miss here. God's call on your life will always involve a place. God's call on your life will always involve a plan. And God's call on your life will always have a purpose. And that's what I wanna talk about this morning as we begin by looking God's will always will have a place. Another way to look at it would be God, with God's call, there is always a new destination. God says to Abraham, I am calling you to a land, a place that God says, I will show you. And, and, but it's important uh, to, to mention here that the place that God may be calling you to might not be a physical destination at all. In fact, most of the time, God's call does not involve a physical move, but he most certainly wants to take you and I to a new place spiritually. That is what God's call is all about, taking you to where you have never been before. It's a destination that is abundantly better than where you are right now. So God is calling Abraham to a place that is different. It is a place that is divine. And listen, I don't know where you have all come from, and I don't know all of your personal stories, but I can tell you without hesitation that God desires to bring you from where you are today to greater forms of godliness every single time. And it is a place that is well described and defined in the scriptures as the promised land. Now let me read to you, a scripture from the New Testament, 1 Peter 2.9. It says, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. I want you to notice the out of darkness and into his marvelous light statement. The first word that shows up from the Greek rev reference for marvelous is the word wondrous. And the, in the original language, it has two parts to it. The first part is that you will admire the place or the spiritual destination that God is taking you to. And the second part is that you will marvel over the place or the spiritual destination that God is taking you to. 
Abraham's destination was the promised land, flowing, as the scripture said, with milk and honey. And likewise, your destination will be flowing with milk and honey too. And as, as you are leaving where you are right now and moving to that greater spiritual understanding of God and his purposes in your life, something happens in your heart when you realize this is an amazing journey. This, this thing that I am experiencing and that I am now living, I am living in, in the land of promise and the land of promises. And, and what that means is God will always meet your need. And please get this straight. God will never call you to a new destination without sustaining you on your journey. That's what the milk signifies. It's the sustained blessings of God. But then there's that honey, which is more than what I need. That honey represents something more. It's a little bit extra. You see, God is in the business of not only meeting your and my needs, but he always gives us just a little bit extra. There's always something sweet to be found on that journey if, in fact, I surrender my will and my preferences to his. Whenever I leave where I am now and I reach towards that which God has in store for me, I am leaving old things behind. I am reaching towards greater levels of godliness in my life. Well, secondly, God's call always has a plan. Romans 12, 1 and 2, my favorite scripture, my life scripture in the Bible. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Understand, God's will for your life is always good. It's always acceptable and perfect. God says to Abraham, he says, I have a place for you. It is a place that is divine and it's different. But God also says, I have a plan for you. And I guarantee you, Abraham, that my plan is bigger and better and more exciting than any plan that you have ever devised for yourself. And it will bring forth satisfaction in your life. Now I am fully aware that there are people in this place today who might have some difficulty with that statement that I just made because you are in God's will, but you're going through a trial right now. You're thinking, God has called me to greater levels of godliness. He has called me to a place where, where things are gonna be so much better, but right now, it just doesn't feel that way. In fact, right now, it doesn't feel so good. Well, can I remind you of something? The purpose of God's call is always greater levels of godliness in your life. You may be in a temporary struggle, and it might even be unpleasant at times, but when you fully surrender and you allow God's plan to run its course, you will come out on the other side and you will be more refined. You will come out having seen God do something great within you. Listen, there will always be some challenges with God's plan and you'll see it throughout Abraham's story. 
Challenges, folks, are inevitable. But the only way that you grow and begin to fully lean upon God is going, when you go through challenges, it's when you are being tested. I believe that God designed it that way in order to bring you into total trust and draw closer to him. When Lisa and I used to lead the couples ministry at Phoenix First Assembly, I gotta tell you how frustrating it was watching married couples who were not willing to work on their difficulties. You see, there is no human relationship that can bring you greater levels of joy or greater levels of frustration than a marriage can. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 that's a very true statement. It is. Two people, complete opposites, cannot live under the same roof and not experience both of those things at times. The joyful parts of marriage are wonderful. What a blessing they are. We like those times, but few of us like to deal with any marital challenges. But when you learn to work through those challenges, God does something great within you. He begins to transform you. You become more like Christ and you start to apply biblical principles to the way that you live and treat and love and respect each other. Here's my point. You can be in a phenomenal marriage and still experience challenges along the way. So likewise, you've got to understand you can be in God's perfect will and still be tested. It is God's design. But, but you never, you, you have never, one thing you cannot forget is that as you navigate through these, these challenges, God is refining you. He is molding you. He is, he is transforming you into the man or the woman that he longs for you to be. My, for some reason, that song just popped into my head. I never promised you a rose garden. God doesn't promise you a rose garden. He promises you blessings and he'll be faithful to you. But that does not for any reason mean there's not going to be challenges, folks. If you became a Christian because you thought you'd never have problems the rest of your life, you're barking up the wrong tree. You know, it's just the way it is. You will deal with difficulties. So I want to go back to Romans 12 2 and look at the New International Version. It says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. The reason I share this translation with you is because the word test is used. I want you to clearly understand the heart of God this morning. God says, you want to test me? You wanna see the difference between how good your plan is compared to my plan? You wanna see the difference between not just good, but acceptable? One translation says agreeable. You wanna see how agreeable my plan is compared to your plan? Agreeable is, is an interesting term when you think about it, because in the Greek, the word picture is you eating something that, that doesn't agree with you. God says, you want to see the difference between not just acceptable, but perfect? Well, just be obedient to my call and I will show you. Do you know that God has a menu for your life? And when you choose to digest his menu, it will always be agreeable with you. Why? Why? because he made it just for you. 
So if you want to continue to have indigestion by following your idea of what a relationship looks like or what a career looks like or how your finances should be managed or whatever it is, God says to you, you want to test me on this? Go right ahead, David, because my plan is a better plan and it will ultimately put you in a much better place. My plan, David, is a perfect plan and when you follow it, you will wonder why you ever followed the old way. You know, the best way as I thought that I can describe this word perfect, it makes me think about buying clothing and how some things fit just right. They're perfect. I'm reminded of a trip I made to buy a new pair of jeans. What an undertaking. (laughs) There was a time in my life when any pair of jeans would do. They'd fit right. It was so simple. All you had to do is know the waist and the length and boom, you're, you're golden, right? But let me tell you something, at my age and at my shape, it ain't so easy anymore. Can I have a witness? There are so many different cuts of jeans on the market. You got low rise, medium rise, high rise. You got skinny fit, slim fit, relaxed slim fit. You got boot cut, straight leg, tapered leg, give me a break. And please, can someone tell me What kind of an alien human being can fit into skinny jeans anyway? (laughs) My son-in-law, Jeff, can. Jeff, you make me sick with your skinny jeans, being able to fit into them. Scott Miller probably fits into them well. (laughs) Scott doesn't have an ounce of fat on his body. All these jeans have a certain feel to them. And let's be honest, some just don't feel that good. And you know it instantly. So I'm in the fitting room trying on about 20 pair of jeans and I'm working up a sweat. Have you ever been there? Would someone please put a ceiling fan above those those dressing rooms so you don't die of suffocation because you're sweating and you're working up a, a, a heart rate by putting these things on? But then you find that one special pair and you start to slide them up and and you know it's fitting in the right places in the right way, if you know what I mean. And, and, and you can hear the hallelujah chorus going on in the background. And then you look in the mirror and you realize what you already know. They're perfect. These are the ones. They fit me right. I'm, I'll buy them. That's what this word perfect means in Romans 12 without the blue jeans. God says you can test me. You can try everything that the world has to offer, but I have a perfect plan. I have a perfect pair just for you. I've designed them uniquely and exclusively for you and for your life, David. Trust in me, lean on me, take me at my faithful word and live by it. And everyone who looks at you, they know it's so right because it's God's perfect will going on in your life. Another reason that I present Romans 12, 1 and 2 is because I want you to see the clear imagery that comes from this. Because the writer is in essence saying, when you get a view of God's great mercy and when you can begin to grasp God's tremendous love for you, when you look at the cross and you see the sinless and perfect Son of God hanging there, beaten and bloodied and bruised beyond all recognition, 
who was mocked, who was disrespected and humiliated and tortured, hanging there grasping for a simple breath as his life was slowly slipping away. Do you get the point? Do you really understand that he did this for you? Christ died for you. And I believe with all my heart, when he hung on that cross, the face of every human being who ever lived on this earth or ever would live on this earth crossed his mind. Like a movie scene in his brain, Jesus saw your face and he saw my face. It wasn't at all random, it was personal. He died for you so that you might be set free from sin, so that you could live the kind of a life that is better than anything you could have ever devised for yourself. And because of his amazing grace and his amazing love, we should run without hesitation to do anything that he asks of us. And so when he calls us to a particular place, which might mean a a commitment to join a a small group Bible study or or to a decision point where you're going to have to decide whether you're going to physically give of your time and your talent to to a ministry in this church or to a major adjustment in your life whereby maybe you're going to say, I'm going to start tithing or I'm going to start giving some of my financial resources to God's kingdom work. We must, as that scripture says, present our bodies as a living sacrifice for the sacrifice that he made for us. But what we've got to remember is while following his plan and being obedient to his call, and his purposes for our life, it can be scary at times. You may enter into some uncharted waters. Things might not even make sense to you at different times, but it will. Because God's plan is perfect. And it is always to benefit us. This is where the blessed life that you truly desire is birthed from. That is the call of God, ladies and gentlemen. So number one, God's call will always have a place. Number two, God's call will always have a plan. And number three, God's call will always have a purpose. The purpose of God's call will be to bless you and to bless others through you. That is the call of Abraham. Abraham Abraham has a place. It is divine and and, and it is different. And he's got a plan and it's a great plan. And he's got a purpose and it's full of blessings and benefits. So how do we know this? In Ephesians 2.10, it tells us, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Does that look like a purpose to you? God has a purpose for you. It's one of the reasons that he made you. So if you go through this life and you don't know Jesus Christ or you never surrender your will to his will, you will miss his purpose for your life. And understand it is within that purpose that you begin to live a life of blessing. You see, God's purpose is so purpose-filled that he planned it even before you and I were created. Before you were a gleam in your daddy's eye, before you were born, God had a purpose already lined out for you and me. In that scripture I just read says, for we are his workmanship. That word workmanship comes from the Greek word polema. It's where we get the word poem. It's also translated as a work of art. God wants to make a masterpiece out of your life. Do you get this this morning? 
I love art. I especially love paintings. I'm amazed at the, the different genres and expressions of art in our world. Classical, contemporary, abstract, which tends to be my favorite. And there's even art I would classify as bizarre. I don't even know how else to explain it. Well, just like art, people come in all shapes and all sizes and all genres. And within High Point, we have classic Christians and we, we have contemporary Christians and we have abstract Christians. And yes, we even have some bizarre Christians in our fellowship. Don't laugh, you're probably one of them. People are, people are thinking about you right now. Here's my point. You are God's canvas and he is painting your life. And some people can't even understand your genre or your, your, your style of art at all, but that's okay because God does. If God's hand is on your life and I don't understand or get your style, it doesn't really matter because God is doing something in you. It's why he created you in the first place. And God is creating masterpieces here at High Point one life at a time. When I see how miraculously the Holy Spirit so completely changes a person's direction and, and, and priorities and purpose, I wonder why so many of us have still not fully surrendered our lives over to God to accept his purpose and to live in his blessing or why so many of us dig our heels in and resist whatever it is that God is trying to do in our lives. I don't understand why during our worship services, people aren't running to the front here, falling on their faces before God and saying, God, I wanna see your purposes fulfilled in my life. I wanna present my body to you as a living sacrifice, so have your way in my life and use me, God, for your glory. This is where true contentment, this is where true blessing comes from, ladies and gentlemen. So if perhaps you are one who has resisted God's call, you've kept your distance, you know how that is, don't get in my space. Just get close enough, but don't let them get too close. You've been unsure. You've never fully surrendered your life to God. You don't even know what that means. I want you to understand something. It is never too late. God loves you far too much to give up on you. During my sermon prep, I discovered something that I hadn't realized about Abraham. Earlier we read in Genesis 12 to the call of Abraham. But if you go back to the 11th chapter, where it breaks down the lineage of Terah, Abraham's father, you're going to find something very interesting. Genesis 11:31 reads this way. And Terah took his son Abram and his grandson Lot, the son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, his son Abram's wife, and they went out with them from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. And they came to Haran and dwelt there. This scripture would imply that God had already called Abraham to move even before this documented account that we read in chapter 12. Let me elaborate on this for just a minute. In, in Acts chapter seven, Stephen was arrested and he was taken before his accusers. And here he references Abraham in Acts seven through two, four, verses two through four. He says, brethren and fathers, listen, 
the glory of God appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he dwelt in Haran and said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land that I will show you. Then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans and dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. It appears that there were two times that Abraham set out for Canaan, for the promised land. His first effort, he only made it to Haran. But for some reason, he stayed there for a while. Many biblical scholars believe that there was about a 20 to 25 year gap between Genesis 11.31 and Genesis 12.4. And the hinge point is found in Genesis 12.4. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken to him and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Remember when I told you Abram was, Abraham was in his prime? It is widely believed that he was about 50 to 55 years old when he left the era of the Chaldeans the first time. But Abraham chose to stop in Haran and then only after his father died did he fully answer God's call. We don't know exactly why the delay, but one could speculate that perhaps his faith suddenly became faithless and fear-filled. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I have. What happened in Abraham's life runs parallel to what happens in many of our own lives. We hear God's voice. We hear his call when he says, I have a place and a plan and a purpose for your life. And so we say, yes, God, I hear you. I'm on board. But then suddenly fear takes over and we begin to have a deficit of faith. And because we can't physically see God's face in our doubts and in our fears, we start to look to other faces. Abraham could see the face of his father, the face of his nephew Lot, the face of his wife Sarai. They were all comfortable faces. They were faces that reminded him of his comfortable life. And I'm sure he began to think, Maybe I don't want to rock the boat. Maybe I don't want to risk losing everything that I already have. Even after everything that God had promised Abraham, fear and doubt settled into his heart. So he makes a half-hearted effort and they end up stopping at the halfway point in Haran. You can also you can kind of imagine how this thing might have played out over the years as, as these faces became more than just faces, but they became audible voices. Five years goes by and Abraham says, hey dad, uh, God's called me to go fully to a new place, to the promised land, but, but I've stopped here in Haran. I need to be obedient and do what God has asked me to do and to finish this journey. His dad says, well son, you know, I'm getting old and I'm not as strong as I, I used to be. Can't you just serve God here? This is a beautiful place. But listen, son, if you have to go, then go ahead. But if I die while you're gone, maybe you can hopefully come back for my funeral. You know, the guilt trip kind of a talk. Ten years goes by. Abraham says to Lot, you know, Lot, I've got to answer this call that God has placed on my life. I think it's time for me to continue along with my journey. And Lot says, come on, dude. 
Don't you know how much I need you? You're not just my uncle. You're my very best friend. You're my bro. I like it here. Can't we stay? But listen, man, if you feel you have to go, will you take me along with you? These faces and these voices held Abraham back for about 25 years. Then the Bible says, while still in Haran, Abraham's father died, and it wasn't until after his father's death that he decided to fully enter into God's plan. In addition, he takes his nephew Lot with him, who really isn't supposed to go with him anyway, because if you remember, God said, go away from your land, your country, and your people. So Abraham compromised. And what did it cost him? He just cheated himself out of 25 years of blessing living in the promised land. Can you imagine what God could have accomplished in his life during those 25 missed years? Here's the deal. When you miss God's call, or when you hear his call, but you compromise, you will never experience the fullness of God's blessing. What you will receive is blessing that will be equivalent to your level of obedience and commitment. And that is the main point I'm trying to get through in this message this morning. How that sadly, many modern day Christians shortchange themselves every single day of their life. They shortchange themselves from blessings in literally every area due to a lack of, of not being fully committed and obedient to what God has called them to do, to God's plan. And I don't know about you, but I desire to have all of God's blessings that he has in store for me, amen? Ladies and gentlemen, there has to come a point where you have to get some steel in your spine. When you gotta stand up and say, if God is for me, who can really be against me? You gotta say, I will do what you've asked me to do, Lord. I will no longer care about what other people think and I will do what you've asked of me. I fully will trust you. I believe that you have my best interest in mind, Lord. You will protect me and you will guide me and, and you will supply every need that I have and you will grow me up to be the kind of person that you envision me and desire for me to be. Can I remind you of something that Jesus said in Matthew 16, 24? He says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The driving point here is that Christianity requires some self-denial. But our human nature is such that we seldom want to deny ourselves of anything. Am I right? When Jesus first came on the scene, he had many followers, and they followed him for a variety of reasons, having different motives. But as the time went on and his teachings got more intense, when the sacrifice and the responsibilities became more evident as he clearly laid them out, people fled. Many lost their way because they counted the cost. And they decided in their hearts and minds that the cost was just too great. In fact, at one point in the Bible, it says that many turned their backs and deserted Jesus. And that's when Jesus said to his disciples, are you gonna leave too? And I love Peter's response found in John chapter six, verse 68. 
when he said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You see, High Point, today is a test for us. Many of you have been longing for a life that you've only dreamed of, the blessed life. God has been calling you. God has been challenging you to a better place with a plan and with a purpose. But you've yet to act upon it. You've dug in your heels, you've ignored him, or you've let fear and faces and voices prevent you from moving forward the way that you should. You are allowing these things to influence you and ultimately direct your path. So who are the faces? Who are the voices that are stalling your effort into the promised land? Is it a romantic interest who doesn't believe like you believe? You don't want to be unequally yoked with someone who doesn't believe like you do because it will be a constant battle of you wanting to do God's will and them manipulating you not to do God's will. Is it a relative? Is it a close friend? Is it a mentor? A business associate? What or who is holding you back? Maybe it's the face of status quo. Maybe it's the face of comfort. We like those things. Status quo is simple. It's easy. Comfort's beautiful. Perhaps it's the face of fear. Perhaps it's the face of pride. You're afraid of what people are going to think if you get serious about Jesus. Let me tell you something this morning, church. They are nothing but diversions from you entering into the place where God has called you. And please understand this. Until you fully decide that there is nothing or no one important enough to block God's perfect will for your life, you will never fully enter into what God has prepared for you since the foundations of the world. And you too, like Abraham, could be spinning your wheels and maybe have been spinning your wheels for literal decades. Let me show you the heart of God once again. Once Abraham resumes his journey to the place where God has called him, look at Genesis 12, 6, and 7. Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem as far as the terebinth tree in Morah. And the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. And there he built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So what is going on here? God is so amazing. God is, is so faithful that in the middle of Abraham's fear-induced lack of faith, in the middle of his compromise, God once again affirms or reaffirms to him the promise that he made. God is so amazing that, that he will literally show up even in the middle of your and my compromise and reaffirm his plan for our lives to get us eventually to the promised land. That, ladies and gentlemen, is the heart of God. See, God is calling every one of us in this room to something greater this year. Doesn't matter how young you are, and it certainly doesn't matter how old you are. 
For some of the young people here, God is just starting out. And with some of our senior members, can I just say, he is not done with you yet. You may be retired from work, but you're not retired from Christianity. You've got time now. You've got time to do things you couldn't do before, and he's calling you. And sometimes we like our comfort, and we like status quo too much. For, For some of you, God may be calling you to receive the gift of salvation. You're here today and you've never received Jesus as Lord and Savior. Maybe for some of you, he's calling you to to simply serve, tangibly serve in your church in some way. Give of some of your, your free time. Because folks, I'm telling you, when you do, it will revolutionize your life. It will revolutionize your Christian walk. You'll actually get some excitement from doing something that you didn't think you could get excited over. He may be calling you to serve in our children's ministry or, or in our youth ministry. Begin to pour into the lives of our, of our children and, and our youth. He may be calling you to tithe from, and give up some of your financial resources. He may be calling you to lead a small group or to invite a friend to church with you. To begin to be more bold at work regarding your faith or, or to reconcile perhaps a relationship that has been broken for far too long. To do the hard work of, of bettering your troubled marriage and, and building an incredible marriage between you and your spouse. To begin to be the spiritual leader, not just in your home, but at work and, and, and within your community. Letting your little light shine for everybody to see. Whatever it is, one thing is for certain. God is calling all of us this morning to surrender. And he wants to bless you through your surrender. Scott, will you come forward and help me to close this down? Abraham wasted 25 years of his life in the promised land by allowing certain people in his life to hold him back. But today we have even more distractions as we pursue the American dream and as we seek pleasure, it can keep us so occupied and it can keep us so distracted that we wake up one day and we realize that we too have just burnt and blown many, many years of our life. When all God wants is really our greatest level of attention. Because when we we fully surrender, he does something supernatural in us and through us. And yet many will still allow fear and distractions and obstacles to prevent them from ever responding by saying no. You say, God, I'm going to live outside of the promised land. I'm going to live in compromise because I just feel like I need to do things my way. You and Mr. Sinatra. And sadly, the emptiness that you feel will only grow greater. But today is a day for change. God is so gracious that he is providing you a new year and yet but one more opportunity to respond to the Holy Spirit's leading in your life. I have come here this morning
to urge you, to compel you away from comfort and apathy and fear and encourage you to embrace everything that God has prepared for you. Surrender yourself this morning to God completely. Go to that place, that destination, follow his plan, and you will experience his purpose for your life. And you will learn how that a surrendered life is a life of blessing. I'd like to ask that nobody leave this building at this point in time out of respect for the Holy Spirit. This is the most important part of our service. It is our response time. I'd like to open this altar this morning to anybody who wants to come and pray and perhaps say, God, I'm ready to be obedient and follow your leading in my life. I'm ready to go to that place. I am ready to follow your plan. I am ready to see your purposes fulfilled in my life. I am no longer gonna make excuses, but I'm gonna act upon that of which you've called me to do. Like we saw with Abraham, High Point, it is never too late to be obedient and to fully trust God. Or perhaps you're here this morning and you've never received salvation, this gift that only Jesus can offer. Well, in order to discover God's plan and purpose in your life, the first thing is to receive Christ and, and enter into a redemptive relationship with him. That's gotta be step one. Having repented of your sin and, and receiving forgiveness and, and offering Jesus lordship over your life. As we are starting out this new year, I cannot think of a more important decision that you could ever make than putting Jesus into your life as Lord and Savior. And for an existing believer, for you to offer your obedience, your full obedience to the one who saved you and who redeemed you. This altar is open to anyone who has a need, maybe a health-related need, it could be a relational need, it could be a financial need. Whatever it is, whatever you have on your heart today, whatever the Holy Spirit is talking to you about this morning, this altar is open. You can come here and you can lay it at the foot of the cross and you can walk away and you can leave it here. While the worship team sings, let's take some time at the altar. The pastors will come and lay our hands on you and pray for you. And then when we're finished, I will come and close this service in prayer. While those at the altar continue to pray, they can stay here as long as they would like. I'd like you to stand to your feet. We will close this service in prayer. Precious Lord, we thank you for another day of life, of having our very being. Thank you for the breath that you give us to breathe. Thank you for your blessings, which are so abundant. We especially thank you for Jesus, the one who made it possible for us to be in a redemptive relationship with you, Father. Allow us to serve you and to, to live for you and to surrender our lives to you so that you can do great things in and through us. Father, my prayer for this church, for this body of believers and those who are watching online, wherever they may be, is that this would be a year of greater things for each one of us, spiritually speaking that we would cast aside some of these faces and voices and obstacles in our way from drawing closer to you, and that we would give you our all. And in doing so, Father, we would see untold blessings, and we would receive such peace in our hearts 
it would be something we could never really fathom or understand because few of us have experienced it on an ongoing basis. But God, that's what you desire for us. You want to keep blessing us. And you have greater things in store for us. Father, open our eyes to what those greater things are and give us the courage to answer your call and to say, yes, I will do that. Yes, I will step out in faith and do that. Yes, I will do this even when it's uncomfortable. Yes, I will do this even when people might look at me in a weird way. God, I'm so tired of people who look at me weird for who I am or what I stand for. Not worth it. What's worth it is that I'll see your face one day and you'll smile at me and you'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, let that be our heart's cry. And as we depart this place today, I pray that your spirit would guide and direct us to our steps, the, the places we go, the things we do, the conversations that we have. Let them be conversations that build people up and not tear them down. Let us shine as bright lights in this dark world, and the brightness is the love of Christ seeping through us, Lord. I pray that you'll use each one of us this week. Give us an opportunity to share your goodness with someone who does not know you. Invite them to church and see them come and learn to be in a relationship with you and what that's about, and watch them as they begin to live the blessed life. That is our calling. That is what you've asked us to do. So I pray that you'll use each one of us in our own way and through our own unique style. I thank you for this time together. I thank you for the presence of your spirit, not only in this place, but that resides within us, that gives us the ability to do things that we never dreamed we could do on our own. We thank you for your spirit, your Holy Spirit, that guides and directs and empowers us. We give this day to you. As we leave here, let us go in peace. Let us go in love. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for being here.